Disclaimer, I am a counseling student, I am not a mental health professional, and I cannot give or offer mental health services. You are listening to Good You. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I sit with Rachel Hymendra and discuss infidelity within relationships. So we've already had a couples counselor on here before, but this is our second LMFT, which stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And we get to dive into what it looks like to sit in a counseling session where two people come in uh, because of infidelity within their relationship. And so it's definitely an interesting topic. And thank you, Rachel, for sitting with me today. Make sure to give her a follow on Instagram. You will find her Instagram account information in today's show notes. So I hope you guys are excited for today's episode. Let's get started. Okay, so I'm here with Rachel. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. So today's topic is going to be pretty interesting and something that I think a lot of viewers will be interested in learning more about. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Well, why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I'm Rachel. So um, I am a couples therapist. Um, I work as an LMFT, which is licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of New York. Um, So yeah, so I got into that. I love working with um, a group of people. So couples, families, I mean, individuals are great and, you know, but I love the relational piece of it. Um, So at the moment, I work full time at a psychiatric hospital um, where I do group therapy and work in an outpatient day program. And then on the side, I work in a private practice and do couples therapy there. Oh, that's awesome. So how much time do you spend between each? Between each session? It's for your, uh, the psychiatric hospital versus your private practice. So the private practice, so the psychiatric hospital is my full-time job. So I'm there from 8.30 to 4.30 and then three days a week, I work at at a private practice Um, and it's a private practice um, owned by somebody else or run by somebody else, but um, I'm just an independent contractor there, but I love doing the private practice work and it's definitely something I want to get into. Yeah. That's where you really want to be. And that's where you're practicing the couples uh, counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what made you want to go into this line of work in the first place? So it was interesting. So I took an um, AP psychology class, uh, senior year of high school. So psychology was always something that was interesting to me. And then, so, you know, in college, you're like, what do you want to major in at 17? And people are like, I don't know. And so psychology was like the easy major for me. I always enjoyed it. And then it was roughly junior year of my uh, college um, experience where I did a um, social experiment on social psychology and gratitude in interpersonal relationships. And it was really there that I got into, we had to do this whole presentation. It was for a social psychology class and um, we had to go interview, you know, different people do um, dependent variables, independent, all that, all that stuff and do a whole study on it. And it was very interesting to learn about 
um, how certain people viewed relationships one way, other people viewed relationships another way. So um, that's what sort of got me into the relational piece um, of things. And then, you know, stereo- I, I was always that person that people came to, especially yeah. in college, when they needed advice on something. I was, I had multiple roommates that always had boyfriend issues, girlfriend issues, things like that. So I was always that ear to listen to, and I loved it. I love the relational piece. So um, when applying to graduate school, I knew I wanted to get my master's in counseling, but I didn't know that there was a specific um, marriage and family therapy field. So I was like, all right, that's what I'm doing. So I applied to that, you know, different programs. And unfortunately, there aren't that many programs, master's level programs out there. So um, I applied to what I could find. And yeah, and that's what got me into it. Well, that's awesome. So you kind of just stumbled upon it and then you really just realized that you had a whole subsection in counseling. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, hello. There's a whole new, there's a whole field in this. So, so yeah, no, it was a, it was a really, really good experience. I think couples counseling is fascinating. It's I'm going into individual mental clinical mental health, but okay. Just to think about like putting basically two individuals together with completely opposite or maybe similar uh traits and characteristics and trying to make a relationship work that's that's a lot of work it's wild yeah yeah it's (laughs) like counseling within the relationship like and you know what my uh therapist always says is there's three people in in couples counseling both of the individuals and the the relationship correct yeah correct and a big part of in couples therapy is always teaching couples that it's them against the problem, not them against each other. So it's the mindset of, you know, if you're arguing because somebody forgot to unload the dishwasher, don't have the argument between each other, have the argument about, well, okay, so it's you two trying to work out why the dishwasher was not, you know, unloaded and what, who's the feelings and everything associated behind that. I love that. That's exactly how it should be. And I think a lot of people, I, I would have to assume that a lot of it comes from like individual trauma or maybe how their parents spoke to them when they were younger. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they take it out on their spouse thinking that's normal. Mm-hmm. And then it's a cycle that just continues. Family of origin plays a big, big role in two couples who, two individuals who come together in a dyad, you know, how you were raised, your environment, your siblings, you yeah. know, so many, so many facets. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Huge. Well, what are, what are the most common reasons that clients come and seek couples counseling or marriage counseling? So the biggest by far stereotypical one is communication. We don't know how to communicate with each other. So we're here to figure out how to communicate. Um, So communication, trust. um, But a lot of the times when they come in for communication, I want I have them focus on the specificities of the communication, you know, okay. Yeah. Maybe you yell at each other. Maybe you get mad at each other, but there's always some deeper level of resentment, frustration. I mean, you don't just get angry for no reason. You're angry because you feel X, Y, Z. You don't want to talk to your partner because they made you feel X, Y, Z. So kind of getting them to understand that it's more less about communication and more about what's behind what you're actually communicating. Yeah. And feeling heard Yeah, um, that sometimes that's all it takes is to just be able to sit there and listen and not 
have an answer and yep. to not ha- try to fix everything. Yep. Feeling heard, not feeling dismissed, feeling acknowledged, mm. big f- subsets of communication. Absolutely. But so communication, trust, um, infidelity is a big one. You know, when couples come in trying to figure out if they want to repair their relationship. Um, I've had premarital counseling. Um, so couples who are just about to get married or engaged or want to get engaged, talking about the different facets of, you know, well, what's the difference between you know, dating versus marriage. What are, you know, what, what, what are the changes that happen? And a lot of what comes with that is communicating to them that it's really all them to decide. There's no real rule book to say that once you get married, you have to do this. And once you get married, you have to do that. It's really based upon, you know, extraneous factors aside, like domestic violence and things like that. It's really up to you to, to make your relationship and just make it, you know, what you want it to be marriage or or not. Yeah, that's a good point. Because whenever I hear people saying like, oh, that's the next serious step. I'm like, well, we've been together for six years and we've been living together forever. What's what's now just (laughs) signing some documents. But yeah, for some people that could just be like the, that stronghold that is scary. And yeah, that's very true. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about infidelity. Yes. (laughs) And definitely one of the things that I'm sure uh, I read, I read a post on Reddit this morning that broke my heart. And it was um, uh, a daughter that found her mother's yeah. Cheating on her father. And so, yeah, not only does this affect the couple, this can affect a whole family. And so we're kind of dive into that today, but what are the different reasons for infidelity within a relationship that you've seen? So top tier, I mean, the top three that I've seen um, probably are unhappiness in the relationship, both emotionally and intimately. So whether it's the sex piece, whether it's the physical piece, or whether it's just the emotional and the connection piece. Um, The other piece of it is probably, you know, at least what I've seen has been um, lack of excitement, you know, so needing to find that quote unquote spark but not necessarily a spark. It's just wanting to find something different. Oftentimes it's, okay, well, I've been in this relationship for 10 years, say, and it's become very autopilot and mundane and I'm looking for something different. And then the third piece, you know, another piece that I found is, you know, infidelity strikes because people don't know how to communicate what they're feeling. So lack of inability or unknowing and how to communicate leads people to just step outside of the relationship because they don't know how to communicate what's going on in here. So instead they act out in ways that seem appropriate to get their needs met because they're unable to communicate what those needs are. And sometimes that comes from a place of always feeling dismissed by your partner, not feeling heard. So one partner thinking, you know, well, if I tell them I'm feeling unhappy, they're just going to dismiss me like they always do. So what's the point? And then another piece of it too is selfishness. I think that some partners are just selfish, unfortunately. Um, They're bored in the relationship and, you know, they just, in their mind, they're like, well, you know, and I'm unhappy. So I'm going to go do what makes me happy. And there's a real big lack of remorse for the other partner. 
Interesting. Do you, do you see those more, not as commonly in therapy, I'm guessing? Definitely not as common because usually when uh, the couples come into therapy, um, more often than not, they both want to work on repairing the relationship. Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions I'll ask in couples therapy, if they are um, coming in due to infidelity um, or, you know, extramarital affairs is, do both of you really want to be in this? You know, is this is this a relationship, you know, because inevitably, or sometimes, you know, one partner has both feet in the door and one partner has one foot Mm. in the door because one part, another partner is dragging them into therapy saying, you need to come to therapy. This is our last resort. And, you know, so in a way it's nice that they're there, but are you going to be there for yourself? Are you going to be there for the relationship? Are you being there because you feel like you have to be there? So a lot of questions to unpack early on. Yeah, that's definitely great. Yep. I mean, I can't imagine how much trust gets broken. And that's the very beginning is like, is this relationship worth the work it's going to be, it's going to take Yeah. to fix this? Absolutely. And it also, there's, um, sometimes it depends on, well, how long have they been together? Because a lot mm. of couples that I've at least seen who have experienced infidelity in their relationship is if they've been together an extended period of time. They're like, oh, well, we have all this history together. We might have kids together. Do we really want to end it? What I've seen personally has been um, for couples who have been together a shorter amount of time and don't have kids, their level of wanting to end the relationship is, it's a little easier, quote unquote. And I don't mean easy in any relative sense. I just mean easy, easier for them in that way. Um, because maybe not a lot of time has passed and they don't have kids in the relationship. Um, but needless to say, no two parties are, you know, one and the same. Every relationship is different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having kids in can, or even a house or anything like that, just having this custody battle that goes along and then yeah, is it worth that? Or is it worth just, just trying to fix yeah. things and get to where we should have been maybe before the infidelity happened? Yeah. So what are some common tools that you use uh, with individuals seeking counseling for infidelity? So one of the, um, so one of the big things that I've seen with my couples is when they, when one partner has uh, been unfaithful to the other, it's usually in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some couples that have had, um, you know, there's been emotional cheating, but physical cheating has been talked about it just didn't get to that place Mm -hmm. um but so a lot of so one tool that i'll use in the beginning is having partners look at each other and do what i call you know small focuses of touch like touching the small of the touching the small of someone's back touching the arm making direct eye contact forms of intimacy that you wouldn't normally think of into think of as intimacy but actually you know, deepening a connection because intimacy really starts with emotional connection. Do you feel connected to your partner? Because in order to want to be intimate, you want some level of emotional intimacy, at least in healthy, long-term relationships. So I'll do those short moments of intimacy, eye contact, 
holding hands in the session, touching mm-hmm. and touching the arm, touching the small of your back, putting a hand on somebody's leg just to see like, what does that feel like? And it's very interesting because when couples first do that, you'll notice like a bit mm. of awkwardness or a tinge, twinge of like, oh, that feels uncomfortable. And it's just a good example of how, oh, if your partner just even touches you on your leg or touches you on your arm and you feel uncomfortable, hmm, okay, that is a, that can be a telltale sign that maybe physical connection in your relationship is something you both struggle with. Yeah. And do you think that occurred before the infidelity? Do you think it was caused by or both? I think it's different for every couple. I think in some cases it could have been one of the telltale signs. One partner may have really always tried to initiate being intimate, having sex, et cetera. And, you know, the other partner was never into it. And thus the partner who tried to initiate felt dismissed and sort of pulled back and then maybe stepped outside of the relationship. So they already felt like there was this uncomfortable level of, um, you know, no physicality in the relationship, Mm -hmm. but subsequently maybe the relationship is going great and physicality is great and, you know, intimacy is great. And then one partner steps outside of the relationship. And then after that, there's that level of, I don't want you to touch me. Don't look at me. Don't touch me. I don't want to be near you. I feel disgusted, et cetera. Um, you brought up emotional cheating versus physical cheating. And I'm I'm glad you did because I didn't have a question on that, but I'd love to touch on that. Um, yeah. How much harm does emotional cheating cause within relationships? Because I know we think of infidelity as strictly physical, but Mm -hmm. it definitely goes into emotional. Oh yeah. No, I think, um, I'm not one to sit here and say, which is worse off or, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think they both play an equal role in, I mean, especially if you and your significant other had a very deep emotional connection, the thought of them having another emotional connection with somebody else can, can imagine is tragic. It's yeah. heartbreaking to think that, let alone, you know, them actually getting physically intimate with um, somebody else. They think oftentimes people view the physical piece of intimacy as worse off because, you know, you're actually engaging in the act sexually intimate Mm -hmm. with somebody else but I think emotional intimacy goes so far beyond um just for instance a one-night stand you know because there's conversations and connection and what do you like to do and oh you know I know this about you and gaining more of a rapport that's can sometimes for some people go far beyond than just oh I had a one-night stand with somebody Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking right when you were talking about it. It's like, I, not that either is great, but yeah, I, I can imagine that it might be an easier hump to come over if it's right. the one night stand and it was a mistake. It happened one time versus like this long-term mm-hmm. emotional affair that could eventually get physical. Maybe they were in a different state or, you know, yeah, like that. Um, well, how do different types of affairs affect the cheated spouse and the relationship? So long-term affairs versus one night stands kind of, this is what we're just about to touch on and affairs with strangers versus affairs with friends. 
So I have worked with couples in so many different parts and so many different sects of that. Um, I had, I'm thinking about this couple that I had who he had an emotional affair, not physical, mm-hmm. emotional affair with um, a business partner who was in China and he was here in the US and he developed um, an emotional rapport with her for six months, nine months. But then I've had, um, a, I've worked with a couple who um, the wife um, cheated with his cousin um, on him. So it was his first cousin and she had an affair with him. It was a one night stand, a drunken affair from what to use their term. Mm-hmm. But then I've had another, um, I worked with another couple who had a whole, you know, two year long affair with this person who, and in that relation, in that couple's therapy, you know, that ther- those therapy sessions, it was, we had a lot of conversations about how much love he had for both of them. So it was very interesting. Oh, that um, must have been very difficult. Yeah, it was a very interesting kind of dynamic because she very much wanted to be in the relationship. He wanted to be in the relationship, but he also had so much love for this other person that he had developed a two-year affair with that it was, you know, kind of, you know, talking through and figuring out, well, are you willing to accept this or are you willing to, you know, take a step back, you know, to the one who was cheated on, you know, and if I'm being honest, I don't, I don't think any, I think that typically one would say, oh, you know, a one night stand, it's better than, you know, a whole long lasting relationship that, you know, another whole nother relationship. And I can, I, I can see that, you know, objectively, I gratefully have never been in a situation like that before myself, right. but I can see that intellectually, but then I don't think you actually know until you're in it. I think either is heart absolutely devastating and heartbreaking. And yeah, Yeah. the trust is equally gone um, or very bruised. Um, And I think that, I guess maybe it plays with the, not only is it a physical, but it's Mm -hmm. also emotional, I guess, if it's longer term for for sometimes, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just more of a physical relationship with that person. Mm -hmm that they stepped out with, but I would have to assume that most of the time it's, it's both if, the, if it's that long of term. Yeah. And a lot of the time, what I do with couples who struggle, who, who come in with infidelity is having the conversation about, you know, cause stereotypically men are deemed the ones who step outside of the relationship, mm-hmm. but communicating to couples, individuals, anybody that I work with that we don't stereotype in session. It's, you know, we're all humans, you know, everybody, you know, makes, every, every human makes mistakes, women, men, etc. But um, so I've actually had both sets, you know, women being unfaithful, men being unfaithful. So it, it's been, you know, both areas. Um, yeah, I imagine it's hard with the one that you said that uh, the cousin, because then it's like, now you're yeah. going to have to find a way around the family and like that, that yeah. affects the whole family if I guess everyone found out um but yeah 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 that's difficult there's there's and there's so many dynamics that go into it that's why you know I always try and communicate to couples you know when they come in and it's for reasons of infidelity 
do you want to be here? As I mentioned before, you know, what parts of you want to be here? Do you feel like you're being dragged in here? Do you want to work on the relationship? And to what extent? Because sometimes I have couples that also come in who really don't feel like their relationship is working, but they need assistance in co-parenting because they have kids. They need assistance in how to better manage a divorce proceeding. So how can they work through, they already know that mm, this relationship probably isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they want to figure out how to, in a healthy, positive manner, work through, you know, something amicable. Because the biggest thing I'll say to couples all the time is, I'm not here to fix your marriage. The big myth in couples therapy is that the couples therapist is there to make their marriage back, you know, glue their marriage back together. And in most cases, I'd hope to like to be there as a source of support to be able to help them see what they want to do with their marriage. But Mm -hmm. that's on them. You know, I'm never here to say, well, you should figure this out and you should do this. And, you know, it's about getting them to understand or for themselves, how did my relationship get to where it is? And do I really want to do the work to get it back to something new? And yeah, what are their individual needs? Like they need to find those things out just like individual therapy when you go and you have to do the work on your own and you, you are the one that creates boundaries. Now you might be helped with tools on how to begin creating boundaries and maintaining and how to maintain and what you'll see if someone tries to cross those boundaries and so on. But in in all in all, your therapist isn't going to be on the phone with you at like, okay, now say this. Okay. Now do this. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, do you see a difference in results of counseling when the partner was honest about the affair versus it being kept a secret from, and then the spouse ends up finding out about it? So interestingly enough, I, um, all the couples that I have worked with have, um, actually no, because no, I take that back. Um, I was going to say all the couples that I work with have all been on the, the okay. partner who has been, you know, unfaithful has been open about it, but no, the couple, um, where the woman, uh, was unfaithful towards her husband with his cousin that was found out through text messages. Um, he found out via, uh, via reading her text messages on an iPad. Um, and she just, the iPad happened to be left about. So, but I'm trying to think about, um, that situation. And I do recall it being a little more difficult for him to grasp it, knowing that he had found out because in the, in the grand scheme of things, your, the mentality goes to, well, I'm not found out. I would have never known you know, you would have never been open with me. You would have never been honest with me. I just happened to find out. Yeah. Whereas in the other situations, you know, you're, you know, maybe the guilt got to them or maybe they just felt they needed to be open and honest about it. And they were, but I don't, I have not seen a drastic. However, I can, I can see just in knowing the couples that I've worked with, knowing different personalities of the people that I've worked with, that there, there would be a difference in having found out versus having been told, having found out mm-hmm. on a whim versus having been told about it and been open about it. I would have to think it's like two barriers of trust. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like one is like, okay, you cheated. And now it's like, and you couldn't even tell me about it. So Correct. how can I trust that it's not going to happen again? And you're not going to tell me about it again. Correct. 
Correct. And the um, couple that I worked with, who um, he had an emotional affair for about six months or nine months with somebody over in China, mm-hmm. he was he started to develop real, real feelings for her. And that's when it scared him. And that's why he became open with his wife about what was going on, because for him, he just thought from his words, it it began as something just casual and it was nice to talk to somebody and, you know, get, get a different perspective from his perspective or, you know, just have somebody make him feel different. And then eventually it turned into something more than that for him. And he felt he needed to be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. Then the, the guilt started weighing in. Maybe at first it was, oh, this is very innocent and you start maybe convincing yourself of right. that. And yeah. Well, um, are there individuals who are more likely or that you've seen more likely to be cheated on or to become cheaters? You know, it's a great question um, because, you know, I never want to, again, stereotype and say that these certain people are cheaters and these people are not because who am I, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not one to make that distinction. But based on my experience, um, I have an individual therapy. Um, I've worked with, um, specific, you know, certain clients who, um, have been cheated on before. And what I've experienced is that there's about, it's like 50, 50, some clients who have experienced infidelity on themselves, you know, somebody has been unfaithful towards them go into new relationships saying, I'm never going to cheat. That was the worst experience. And then we have other people who who I've worked with, individuals who I've worked with who, you know, well, if other people are going to do it, I'm going to do it too. And it's that mindset of, um, hmm, okay, well, somebody else did it to me. My heart got broken. And it's, it's that mindset of anger and spite that sort of just takes hold. And I've seen that in a few clients and we've had the discussion more in depth about how it's, we need to get behind the spite and the root of what is the need to gain vengeance on somebody completely different, you know, who didn't actually, wasn't actually unfaithful towards you. It's a completely new relationship. But another thing that I've also noticed um, is that some people grow, is, is family of origin. So we call it FOO, family of origin. Who did you grow up with? Did you grow up with um, mom and a dad, a mom and a mom, dad and a dad, single parent household, grandparents, siblings? Who did you grow up with? And oftentimes, you know, we see our parents, whomever they are, single parents, neutral family, that's our first definition of what a romantic relationship is like, you know, when, and so looking at that and growing up with that, I've seen, you know, people who've grown up seeing really toxic family relationships, bad divorces as kids Mm -hmm. growing up to either want exactly the opposite of that or believe that this is the right way to do things or this is the only way they know how to do things. So I once had, I've had a couple of clients actually who have shared that, you know, well, this is the only way I was taught how to be in a romantic relationship with the right way. My mom was unfaithful to my dad. My dad was unfaithful to my mom. So, you know, this was what I saw growing up, not to make it right, but sometimes we're so, yeah, we're so, if we're so enmeshed in our family or this is just the environment we grew up in. So I don't, 
want to stereotype and say these types of people are the people who inevitably go out and become cheaters. But I think um, family of origin definitely plays a role. I think, um, but I think self-esteem also plays a big role too. Mm. A lot of the times we can find ourselves projecting. So if we feel so insecure with ourselves, whether it's our body image, our social skills, our job, whatever it is, and we feel insecure and we're in a relationship and somebody is telling us how much they love us, but we are so insecure with ourselves, our mind can go to, well, they're going to cheat on me. Look at me. I did this. I did that. You know, maybe I'm going to go out and hurt myself, hurt them before they can hurt me. So it's Um, like the fight flight response, but it's the flight response. So it's the, let me get out of here before they do, or let me cheat before they do kind of self-sabotage yeah self-sabotage for sure and there's um in psychology there's four different types of attachment styles Mm -hmm. um there's secure attachment anxious attachment avoidant and fearful avoidant or fearful dismissive Mm -hmm. um and you know secure attachment is what it is it's secure attachment um but anxious and avoidant are typically the ones where you know um you're kind of stuck in this level of, do they want to be with me? Dude, you know, or the, so the anxious uh, mindset is the anxious attachment style is, um, you know, do they want to be with me? You know, second guessing every move you make, second guessing mm-hmm. every move they make, not feeling secure in the relationship. And the avoidant is very much the, I'm going to try and be as independent as I can because I fear intimacy. Yep. Absolutely. I would, love to do a full episode on attachment styles because yeah. that is that is such, that's a cool one it is learning more and more about it and then you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> unfortunately but it is good <laughs> because then you know what to work on you know and right but yeah definitely um i i would have to think as you were speaking on um the types of families growing up in that, like yeah. I was talking about earlier, that Reddit post, it really stuck with me because it was this, I felt so, so terrible. It was the daughter that posted um, about her finding it. And then she did an update post about her telling her dad. And, oh, wow. and so um, I, I, I know in it, she was saying how perfect her parents' relationship was and how like every teacher she's ever had has been like, mm-hmm. you should be so lucky. You have parents with this good of a relationship. Like don't ever take that. Wow. For granted. And how, uh, how all of her parents or her friend's parents have gotten divorced. So they've really looked up to her parents. So she, I, I wonder if she's probably going to grow up with serious uh, commitment problems. Cause she's going to be almost scared of that. Like perhaps. Well, if it's perfect, you know, and I've seen that. And so, yeah, it's just interesting. And not saying that anyone who is in a really awesome relationship should be concerned. No, um, right. Because yes. and it is, it's sad when you see that happen within the full family and like the kids get brought into that and then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you had any clients with um, where the children were also involved within the, the therapy or was it strictly just couples? It was strictly just couples, but I've worked with families. Mm-hmm. So I've, d- I've done family therapy where um, I'm 
thinking about this one family in particular, mom and dad were getting divorced. Uh, mom had a new relationship. Dad had a new relationship, but they had three kids and the youngest kid was six and the oldest kid was 13 mm-hmm. or 14. And they're still pretty young in that way of, you know, um, understanding what divorce means. Mom and dad aren't going to live together anymore. Mom lives here. Dad lives there. Mom and dad now both have new partners in their life as well. So it was, it was a, it was an, it's always an interesting dynamic to see how everybody communicates with each other. Um, But, but no, it's, it's sad. And I can only imagine, you know, because a lot of fighting takes place in those in those family therapy sessions a lot of passive aggressiveness a lot of things kids have to witness that you know unfortunately they shouldn't have to yeah. they do yeah it is it's hard because I feel like people who are outside of it are quick to judge and say like how can you yeah. put the children first and it's like have you yeah that that type of I, I, I heard it was uh similar to um like divorce can be similar to death of the spouse in, in some situations, like in some situations. Was, yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you're blindsided, especially. And a lot of the times I'll view like loss as when we talk about in, if I'm talking about bereavement, for instance, mm-hmm. loss doesn't just mean losing somebody because they passed away. It can be loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of a home, but loss of a marriage is a big one. Loss of a, you know, because maybe the person didn't pass away. They just broke up, but say you've been together for, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you lived a life with this person, whether or not you were happy the entirety of the life that you lived with them, you developed a pattern, a routine, a structure. Yeah. Yeah. Years and time commitment. Yes. Um, Well, how can someone tell if a relationship or a marriage can survive after an affair? What, how, when they come in, if they're willing to work on it versus mm-hmm. not, I mean, what else do you see? So there's a lot, what I have seen as being top tier in that is the ability for both partners to make room in the forefront of their mind for that of the other person's perspective. That's when you sort of know that, okay, maybe this relationship post-affair has some level of hope in that, you know, because automatically it's always deemed as the person who cheated is the bad guy mm-hmm. or bad girl, which yes, they did do the big wrong thing that took place for sure. But then the big part of therapy is doing the work behind why did the cheating happen? Number one. And number two, why are you both here to want to work on? What are you working towards? One of you was unfaithful towards the other, but why did the unfaithfulness happen? Mm-hmm. And what do you both want to sit here and sort of work towards in regards to not your old marriage, but a newer marriage, a newer relationship? Because the big thing is couples will come in and say, oh, I want to go back to what things used to be like and this time and that time. And maybe you do, and maybe things were great, but we need to find what a new norm looks like for you. You know, what does a new relationship with a new norm? We can still take, and one exercise we'll do is kind of um, thinking back to all the good qualities that you love about your partner. We'll spend a session talking about that. What do you really love about your partner? What did you love about them when you first met them? What did you love about them? And what do you love about them now? Mm -hmm. So being able to talk about 
you know, the positives, because, you know, for so long, maybe the forefront of your mind focused on the negatives about your partner, the things you didn't like. Yeah. And I think people really need to stop thinking that relationships that are 10 years, five, 10 years long are going to feel the same way as year one. Right. It's a totally different ball game. Like you, there's there you can find yourself in a roommate phase and think what the heck has happened yeah we're just <laughs> walking past each other every day and it's right. about communicating and getting out of that the the thing that makes these relationships is getting over those things together and thinking wow like we did that together we we used to be here and now we're here and we're doing so great and then yeah. maybe you get in another rut and you're like we need a get back into thinking what's going on here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I like how you said about reframing your idea of what it is now. And especially after infidelity, I'm sure it's like, you're not going to, well, you're not going to get that before the infidelity and you're not going to get that after the infidelity. Right. (laughs) And the thing is too, it's understanding like, you know, the biggest, I think the biggest piece is being able to sit down and say, you know, one of the big things I'll do in, is, is ask, you know, because by the time couples come to therapy, they have spoken about the affair, about, you know, they've maybe had long, st- stressful, drawn out, draining conversations already about it. But in the session, I'll really try and focus on, well, you know, what, what was the reason why you decided to step out of the relationship? And then I'll ask the other partner who was cheated on, be like, what do you think are some of the reasons why your partner stepped outside the relationship? Mm. Not to put blame on them, not to say it's their fault, but to really have this open conversation because it's always focused on, well, you cheated and you did that. And you, yeah, yes, that person did the wrong thing. No doubt about it. But you know, what, what was, you know, what was you, not your role in them stepping outside of the relationship, but what was your role in maybe some of the unhappiness that existed within the relationship? Because maybe they wouldn't have gone and stepped outside the relationship, but the unhappiness still exists, you know, and being open and honest with that. And sometimes partners who have been cheated on forget to focus on that piece, especially if they want to work on the relationship, it's, oh, I can't trust you. I need to bug your phone. I need to make sure that, you know, I know where you are at all times. And that's not a relationship. No, it's you know, not. it's like parenting. Yeah. <laughs> Switch it up, yeah. but finger pointing avoids accountability, you know, and exactly. being able to say, well, you did this. This is why I cheated. Well, you cheated. So yeah. I- that could be the ending of the argument for people. And like, that's the, you know, but, and I think it's a lot of guilt on both sides also wanting to avoid accountability, accountability because that, that brings about that guilt and that shame that people hate to feel. Right. Because nobody wants to talk about guilt and shame and distress and all those icky emotions that kind of hide beneath the anger. I'll often tell clients that anger is SAD's bodyguard. Anger bodyguards, it's easier to curse somebody out. She go out and she ignore somebody than it is to say, you made me feel hurt. You dismissed Mm me. You, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, those are the types of conversations um, 
I enjoy having in couples therapy. And another added piece of fidelity too, other than just stepping outside the relationship, is also being able to talk about your partner in a positive light when they're not around. Being faithful to them when their presence is not there. Absolutely. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you said that. I have heard so many people (laughs) say things about the person that they're with. And I'm like, are you okay? Are you happy? Are you happy? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't even imagine being like constantly talking crap about my partner all the time. Like, right. (sighs) You know, it's, it's one thing, you know, you're out with your girlfriends and you're venting about something. Yeah. Your husband specific thing, specific. You didn't do the dishes. Correct. Right. You're venting about something and that's completely fine and whatever on both ends, Mm -hmm. you know, for men and women, but to constant, if somebody asks you, you know, about your partner and the first thought in your mind that comes to mind is something negative. There's a lot to be said in that. And that's it. And and the one exercise I do in the beginning of couples therapy and one of our first few sessions is think about something positive about your partner. And oftentimes, you know, couples struggle to say something positive because it's the beginning of therapy. They're coming in, they're upset about something. And so a big part is being able to make room in the forefront of your mind for the positive aspects of your partner that have somehow crept all the way to the back because they were there Mm -hmm. at some point. but have crept all the way to the back. And so kind of bringing those more to the front. So that way, when you're in social situations, you're maintaining this level of fidelity to them as well when you Mm -hmm. talk about them. Yeah. And think about the way we uh, participate in negative self-talk and how eventually we start to really believe those things. Same thing. I I keep talking bad about my partner. I'm eventually going to really start getting annoyed with them just sneezing or breathing, you know, just looking in my direction. Yes. Why would you (laughs) even look at me? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. There's so many different dynamics that can go into couples counseling. And I'm so glad you got to dive into this subject with me because I think a lot of people, I'm sure have experienced, uh, infidelity at some point, even if it's like I I did in high school, which like, does that count? Not really. You know what I mean? You grow about, you grow out of it. But when it comes to counseling and marriage Mm -hmm. and and long-term relationships, I mean, people experience that every day and there's going to be someone. Yeah. Who really hope benefits from this episode. So thank you so much for sitting and talking with me today. Absolutely. Oh my God. The questions you asked were great. I loved it. Well, you answered perfectly. So thank yeah. you for being the expert. <laughs> well, where can listeners find you and follow you if you have anything, any social media? So um, social media. So I um, I just have my Instagram account. Um, it's R-A-E Hymendra. So that's my um, Instagram name. But and I, I will add post... that in the Instagram note. I mean, Instagram notes, yeah. the, the podcast <laughs> notes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just, I, every day I'm always posting something um, I always have on my story. I'm just posting inspirational quotes or food for thought quotes, things to think about in regards to everyday positive self but also inspo on couples therapy and relationships. Um, actually at the, uh, at the um, hospital, psychiatric hospital that I work at, it's group therapy based. So I run an intimate partner relationships group there, an interpersonal relationships group there. So talking about just like, you know, the different forms of uh, relationships, more interpersonal, and then more specifically with intimate partners. Thank you so much. And 
make sure to go follow her. She is amazing and had such a good (laughs) conversation with you today and tonight. And uh, sorry, it's so dark in here. It has been raining in Louisiana for weeks. Oh my gosh, you're in Louisiana. I had no idea. I am. I am. (laughs) It is very muggy and hot. (laughs) It's hot here in Connecticut. So (laughs) no one can beat the heat anywhere. So we're we're all just melting. Um, (laughs) But thank you. Have a great Monday or a great rest of your week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Today's music was written and produced by Tyler O'Brien. You can find him on Instagram at dreamscape, D-R-E-A-M-S-C-A-P-E. And follow his band at wastelander underscore band on Instagram.